Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The seal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Folks, God's will, God's purpose, God's way will take place. We have God's word on it. So go ahead and let the heathen rage. Let mankind imagine vain things. One of the vain things they imagine is that they are in control. I have news for them. They're not. God's will, God's purpose will take place. Now this morning as we come together here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, as I mentioned last week, we believe that it's appropriate to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Uh, the angels certainly celebrated his birth. And I think those who criticize uh, celebrating Christmas and, and rejoicing this time of the year over the birth of, of our Savior, uh, I, I think they're missing a glorious, wonderful opportunity to witness I can't emphasize enough how the world's attention at this very moment is turned to that baby in the manger, and I think we have an obligation to make sure that we take that focus and put it from the baby in the manger to the Christ of the cross and make sure they understand that the tomb is empty. I think we have that responsibility. So take advantage of this time uh, of, uh, of the year. Unfortunately, uh, this time of year is so, so commercialized, so commercialized. Um, a lot of, lot of pagan uh, inclusions that take place this time of year. Uh, and so I, I do encourage you to avoid those, avoid those, uh, and focus on the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Focus on that gift. Focus on the gift of eternal life that God has given us. Uh, so we want to try to avoid, or not try, we want to avoid all of the secular aspects of, of Christmas. And, and you know what? I, and I got to thinking about that this week as I was putting, all the, putting the, this message together. Um, when you stop and think about it, this time of the year must be special or Satan wouldn't want to be counterfeiting it. You ever thought about that? And the same with Resurrection Sunday. Satan counterfeits. That must be a special time, or Satan wouldn't be counterfeiting it. We call it Resurrection Sunday. He calls it Easter, talking about Satan. You know, we celebrate the fact the tomb is empty, that Christ died on the cross. Other people are celebrating a bunny rabbit and eggs and baskets. And, and you just see how Satan takes that which I believe is important for us to celebrate and rejoice over. And he tries to introduce a counterfeit 
both during Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate and at Christmas. So it must be a special time or he would not be trying to counterfeit it, to get your focus off of what's true and put it on what is, is, is fake. Matter of fact, we never even taught our kids, there's no kids here, right, about Santa Claus. We, none of you adults believe in Santa Claus. Okay, um, just want to make sure. We, we always made sure our children understood that the gifts that they received uh, came from their mom and dad because we were wanting to share with them the greatest gift of all, that God had blessed us. Uh, there was never any thing about Santa Claus or anything else uh, associated with him. Uh, we gave gifts, we celebrated the season, but we made sure they knew that what they were, what they were being blessed with was because of God. So we never had to worry about them going, well, wait a minute, you told us Santa Claus was real? Are you telling us the Easter Bunny is not real? Are you telling us that uh, the Tooth Fairy is not real? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chase, the Easter Bunny, no, it's not real. So when the time came for us to tell them about Christ dying on Calvary's cross, see, they knew they could trust us. So we wanted to make sure that none of them ever thought those things. But I think it's interesting how Satan likes to counterfeit. And the world's attention is focused on that baby in the manger. Even amidst all this controversy, all the confusion that's going on, we have an opportunity to talk to people and take them from the manger to the cross. The manger speaks of the faithfulness of God and fulfilling his promises. The cross speaks of the love of God, and the tomb speaks of the power of God. This time of the year, we want to make sure we take advantage as people are focusing on this season and point them to Christ Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is through the series that we've been looking at is uh, how where, when, and why. This morning we're going to focus on when Christ was born. And folks, it is so important that we understand when Christ was born. Because what, as we talk about where uh, Christ was born, it just, as we did last week, it just shows you how important, how trustworthy, how accurate God's Word is. When we talk about how, through the virgin birth, it just pinpoints the truth that God's Word is true. It's miraculous. We can trust it. And now as we talk about when, I'm telling you, it, what it does is it emphasizes the accuracy, the legitimacy of the Scriptures. It highlights the truth of God's Word so that we know beyond any shadow of doubt, the way God weaves the truth through from Genesis to Revelation, the, the precious theme is the redemption of fallen man. The precious doctrine is that God loves mankind and desires to have a relationship with Him. As we search the Scriptures, 
as we, we search them, we find that they are accurate, they are true, that they fit, that God's plan fits, and it just makes us stand in awe and wonder. It makes me convinced even more that this is God's Word and that it is true, that it's accurate, and what it tells me about God I can trust. These truths have been woven down through centuries. Centuries of praise, centuries of rebellion. Speaks of faithfulness, it speaks of rejection. Speaks of success, it speaks of failure. It speaks of trust, and it speaks of unbelief. But through all of that, it still spoke truth. And we study the accuracy, the unity of doctrine the unity of the theme. It is nothing short of miraculous. With, with the way that we study this, it fits the type, and that's something we're going to be talking about this morning. The fulfillment provides us with a clear uh, reason to trust it, to believe it. Prophecies uttered, prophecies fulfilled. From the prophecy concerning the seed of the woman to the prophecy that flight into Egypt, the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all those prophecies. As a matter of fact, do you know how many prophecies concerning His coming, first coming, He fulfilled? Every single one. Every one. Hey, if you had only fulfilled 99.9% of them, that wouldn't have been enough. But He fulfilled every one of them. Every one of them. And we can trust him if he fulfilled all of the ones concerning his first coming. Guess what he's going to fulfill? Every one concerning his second coming. You can be sure of that. See, when we realize that the 66 books are written over a span of about 2,000 years, actually covers a span of about 4,000 years total, written by 45 different individuals who were moved, who were directed, who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed upon them, and the consistency of that message from Genesis to Revelation speaks of the defense of God's Word. And it leaves no doubt, number one, that it's miraculous, number two, that it is true. And no more so is that true as we discuss when he came, when Christ came. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 1. And the key to understanding when Christ came, I think, is in this, this chapter. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And when we get to the scripture that I really want to highlight, uh, I'm going to tell you, let's highlight that scripture. But I think you're going to know. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Talking about Christ, not John. And he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lightens every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Underline it, accent it, however you do, but that word dwelt among us. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He that comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace." For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him or revealed him. Now I want us to go back to verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt. The, word, the Greek word there literally is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us little doubt little doubt that Christ Jesus um, was not born on December the 25th we understand that right and I'm going to show you how we can know he was not born on December the 25th we don't believe he was born on December 25th. I know that's when the world celebrates the birth of Christ. And, and that's okay. We're going to join in with that celebration. Why? We want to point them to the cross. So we're not going to argue because something critical, something miraculous, something wonderful, something glorious did happen around December the 25th. And we're going to point out from Scripture what that was. And since I don't want to hold you in suspense, the conception. The conception by the Holy Spirit, the promise that was made to Mary, took place on or around December the 25th. You say, oh, you don't know that. The Bible doesn't say that. Yeah, it does. The Bible really does say that. And that, again, is why I get so excited about the Scripture. It's because it's so true. It is so real. It's so searchable. It is so glorious to study it that these truths just come blazing out. And you go, wow, thank you, Father, for making your will so clear and so known to us and just giving us a, a light that we can, 
that we can travel here. So he wasn't born on the 25th. When he was born, it was a normal birth. There's nothing miraculous about the birth. What was miraculous was the conception. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and then this virgin conceived. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. To Luke chapter 1. Now, we just looked at John chapter 1, and it talks about how Christ tabernacled with us, among us. Boy, can you imagine, just imagine, if there was something in the Scripture that emphasized that tabernacling, if there was something in the Scripture that was a type that pictured, oh, what if one of the feast days were the feast of tabernacles? Wouldn't that be pretty glorious? I mean, you have the feast of trumpets, and I'm pretty sure that when the second coming of Christ takes place, it's going to be the feast of trumpets, which is also in September. So it, that would not surprise me. We're going to be in heaven, and you can look over and go, hey, you were right. No, Scripture's right. See, every one of the feast days point to Christ, His ministry, whether it be the Passover, whether it be the Feast of Trumpets, whether it be the Feast of Tabernacles. It all points to the legitimacy. It all points to Christ. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. So if we had a way of proving that Christ was born during the Feast of at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, when he's going to tabernacles among us, what would be our reaction? Our reaction would be, wow, God's word must be true. God must really love me to make it so consistent where it fits together. The neat thing about the, the Feast of Tabernacles uh, it was a season called the season of joy. The Feast of Tabernacles takes place the last week in September, the first week in October, something around those times. So are you wondering, well, when was Christ born? I'm going to tell you, I believe it was sometime around around January, around September the 29th. Matter of fact, I've been told by folks that have the ability they can go back and and based on uh, Jewish calendar and and years and they can go back and back and back and back to the time Christ was born uh, 4 4 BC I don't know how that works but that's what they tell you Christ was born 4 BC and uh, based on the calendar and how they figure that out uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was September the 29th perfect time for Christ to have been born. Well, you say, but wait a minute. It, why do we celebrate it on the 20, December the 25th? 
Well, the Bible's pretty clear when the conception took place. And even I'm enough of a mathematician to add from that miraculous conception all the way to um, September the 29th and his birth celebrating that feast day. That feast, that, that whole feast of tabernacles was instituted when they were in the wilderness. That feast of tabernacles was instituted when God's holy presence was there, that he showing himself to be real. His presence was there in the tabernacle. He was leading them through the wilderness. God's abiding presence was there. Uh, It talks about the the, the future promises of God when he was going to, to be a, a, among them. It was all pointing to Christ Jesus, of God coming in the flesh. And it's tied to that, that celebration. And I think it's an incredible truth that we can grasp hold of and understand God's word is true. Luke chapter 1. So how do we know that? I mean, again, if, if Christ was born of the Feast of Tabernacles, as I believe he was, that just, again, speaks of God's clarity in his word. But Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well, now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, what's the order of his course? Abia. He just told us. See, the scriptures are so detailed. People read through that and go, oh, isn't that nice? But what the Holy Spirit is telling us is such important truth. He's exercising the priest's office before God in the order of his course, Abia which the order of his course would have been the eighth lot. And you go back to, second, uh, to 1 Chronicles 24.10. We don't, we don't need to go well. Uh, uh, the eighth was uh, Abijah, which is uh, Abiah. And the, the priest had an order of when they were responsible for being in the temple and carrying out the duties of the priest. And the eighth Lot, or the, the eighth time was Zacharias' time, and we know that that was from June 13th through the 19th, according to our calendar. That's when the priest understood uh, if you were the first lot, second lot, third lot, or fourth course, fifth course, sixth course, there was a a time designated when as a priest you had to be there to carry out and do your thing. Zacharias, his time was around June the 13th through the 19th. Verse 9, 
according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So, got that right? June, middle of June. Zacharias in the temple, carrying out his priestly duties, his assigned duties. He and his wife, Elizabeth, no children. They're well stricken in age. Verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Which John is this going to be? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall be turned to the Lord their God. And he shall go forth in the spirit of power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That was the ministry of John the Baptist. To prepare Israel to be what? The priest of the Lord. Matter of fact, that's why he came doing what? Baptizing in the Jordan, which was a ceremonial cleansing preparing Israel to be that nation of priests. It's what John the Baptist came doing. Preparing the way for the Lord. Verse 18, And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God. I am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that thou shalt be, things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias, and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. Because he believed the angel now, right? What did the angel said? Elizabeth, she's going to have a baby. He didn't hang around at the temple. He headed home. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. So she, she conceives, she hides herself for five months. Thus saith the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked unto me to take away my reproach among men. So God's word tells us what the angel said to Zacharias. Zacharias, when his time was up, he took off for home. 
Elizabeth became pregnant. She hid herself five months. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the sixth month of what? Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said unto her, and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind, What manner of salutation should this be? And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And this takes place. How many months has Mary, uh, has Elizabeth been pregnant? Six months. How, how much older was John the Baptist than the Lord Jesus? Six months. Look down, drop down to verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary is, is with child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Six months from the last part of June is when? If it's sometime around the last part of June when he hightailed it home, around December the 25th is when Mary is going to be with child from the Holy Spirit, probably around December the 25th. So the miraculous event was not the virgin birth, but it was the Mary becoming pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And we already talked about how. We talked about the virgin birth and how that works. So now you've got uh, six months from the time John got home and he and Mary uh, uh, were, were able to conceive Six months from that is around December the 25th. Now, from December the 25th, boy, if it works out to be nine months later, and it's sometime around September the 29th when the Feast of Tabernacles is, wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be just like God to say, I want you to believe my word. I want you to know that I'm not in error. I want you to know that... that just as surely as I can make this happen and bring this about, I can control your life. I can, I can lead you in your life. You can trust me. And I think that's exactly what's going on. I think God's Word is telling us exactly when Mary was impregnated. I think God's Word tells us, and we can base that on when Elizabeth was. And nine months later, we have the Lord Jesus Christ going back to John 1. Go back to John 1. 14, and the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us just at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Christ Jesus came into the world. So what this is actually celebrating, what we actually are celebrating this time of the year is the conception. Oh, and by the way, by the way, I firmly, totally, 
100% believe that life begins at conception. This proves it. As far as I'm concerned, life begins at conception. Uh, it, uh, we've been talking recently uh, about if, if you're Jewish and the day of your birth, you're almost a year old. They count that nine months. They want to make sure that people understand that you're, you're already nine months old by the time you come forth and you're born. You're about a year old. I think that's smart, except as you get older, you don't want that to happen. But if it'd go back the other way, that'd work too. But it doesn't. But that's, that's how that works. And so Christ Jesus, uh, Mary conceived, I think around December the 25th. I think that Christ was born uh, on the, during the Feast of Tabernacles, again, proving God's Word to be so accurate. Now, had something else transpired, has something else taken place in Israel's history that I, I think enters into this, and, and I think something did. It's not scriptural, uh, but it's historical. Uh, it, it's true history, but it did not rise to the, the level of being the inspired Word of God. But it's historically correct. In 174 B.C., 100, about 170-something years before Christ was born, there were some serious issues going on in the land of Israel. They had been, uh, the Jerusalem and, and uh, Israel had been overcome. They had Syrian and Greek occupiers. Uh, they had a man that was uh, uh, leading the, uh, the, the Greeks there and the Syrians, Antiochus Epiphanes, evil, evil man. And one of the things that this Antiochus Epiphanes did is he hated the Jews, he hated Judaism, he was Greek, he wanted them to worship their, the Greek gods, and so he made it that circumcision could no longer be practiced, the dietary laws could no longer be practiced, the temple worship was no longer allowed. Actually, they set up false uh, or pagan altars in the temple. He was a nasty fellow. Things kept escalating to, to the point that finally, a group of fellows by the name of the Maccabees, Judah Maccabee in particular, was a, a young man, and he raised up an army. He raised up a bunch of fellows that wanted to take the temple back over and throw off uh, Antiochus and his, his domain, his rule. And so they did just that. Uh, in uh, 139 B.C., about 140 years, this had been going on for 20, 25 years. They'd been fighting back and forth. Finally, Judah uh, of Maccabees, he took control and they took over the temple, and they beat them. Beat, they beat the Greeks back, and they they won the day. And they had a uh, a rededication of the temple. They had to go in and and clean the temple out. They had to cast out all those pagan idols, and and they had to have a, a ceremony to to 
rededicate it and to clean the temple up before they could ever use it. And one of the things that they had to do is they wanted to burn the candles and to burn the incense and to burn the the candles. Uh, There was a problem. When they went in, there was only enough oil to burn in the temple for one day. There was only enough, and when we say enough oil, that oil had to have been uh, uh, blessed by the, the priest, uh, had to be formulated by the priest. There was a certain uh, way to prepare that oil. It couldn't just be, well, hey, somebody go down to the local store and bring up some uh, oil and we'll just burn that. couldn't be that way. It had to be a specially prepared oil that the priest had dedicated and that they had, with their formula, put that together. They only had enough oil for one day. And it was going to take them eight days to get enough oil done and, and put together and, and formulated in order so they could continue. They didn't know what they were going to do. Legend goes, story goes, that that one bit of oil that was supposed to last eight day, uh, one day lasted eight days. Lasted eight days. Now that's not scriptural. We can't go and say, uh, wow, did, I mean, if, if it were scriptural, I'd believe it. But it's not part of the scripture. So we can't say with certainty that's exactly what happened. But the Jews to this day, did they celebrate that event? It's called Hanukkah. It's called Hanukkah, or the Feast of Dedication, or the Feast of Lights. And that is extremely important to the Jews. Today, they, they celebrate Hanukkah. I mean, let me tell you somebody else who celebrated the Feast of Dedication, which is the same thing, the Feast of Lights. Turn with me to John, chapter 10. John chapter 10. Twenty-two. John ten twenty-two. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. And it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. And then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us doubt? If thou be Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. They took up stones to kill him. Why was Christ there in Jerusalem? He was there for the feast of the dedication, the festival of lights. Hanukkah 
worshiping and celebrating what took place. And why wouldn't he? Because he is the light of the world. You know, it, it, it makes you wonder if he was, and, and basically reading that, he came into his own, his own received him not, saying, he, this, you're celebrating the Feast of Lights? I am the light of the world. I am the, I'm the one that came in order to give you life. And as we celebrate Christmas this season, when we think about all that's transpired, all that's taken place, the consistency of God's Word, historically, how God has just proved Himself over and over. To me, it's just so obvious, without a doubt, that God is exactly who He says He is. In faith, we worship Him. We come before Him acknowledging that He and He alone is worthy of our praise. Next week, we're going to be talking about why He came. We know how He came, the virgin birth. We know where He came, to the Migdal Eater, to the Flock Tower, to Bethlehem, and how that all fits you know, there's going to be a sign. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Where that manger was in Bethlehem at the flock tower just speaks of the typology of who Christ is. The when, when Christ was born. The scriptures are there. It lays it out that we can believe, and it gives us reasons to believe. And I hope this morning that you believe. I hope this morning that you know Christ as your Savior. You realize that this is no fairy tale. It's, it's not simply a children's story, but it is true. It's the wonderful words of life. We can believe it. We can trust in it that it's true. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and how we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we're thankful that you love us. We're thankful for the salvation we have in Christ. Father, how thankful we are for the truth of your word. Father, may we be serious in our study as we search the scriptures daily, as we find these precious, golden, sweet nuggets of truth. Father, that just proves that you love us and you want us to know you. You want us to be reconnected to you. And Father, you don't leave us without that assurance. Father, we thank you for your word. May we be faithful students and keep our nose in the book and study faithfully. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior, Father, that this will be the moment in their life that they'll realize that they're a sinner They'll realize that they are lost, they're separated from you, and the only way to be connected to God the Father is through God the Son. And by faith, they'll believe that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Father, just show them through the Holy Spirit. Convict their hearts that that is truth. And you desire to have a relationship with them for all eternity. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.